Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the... I'm bored. Wait! And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking Corpsicles and Dream Girl 2001. We're talking, what is this, a homicide or a B-movie? And we're talking... The real me and i'm joe and i'm trace and we're talking it's miller time <laughs> so many atkins isms in this movie uh, that's literally the slogan for miller light <laughs> oh of course but also it sounds like you want to take a ride on tom atkins mustache sure that's exactly something i want to do uh hello everyone we are discussing fred decker's cult classic horror sci-fi comedy film night of the creeps <laughs> literally just every genre mashed into one movie in an interview with him he does say that he just took all the b-movie stuff and just put it in a blender and hit the puree mm -hmm. button <laughs> i love it i love it you can see it on the screen oh but joe night of the creeps i mean we so if, if y'all have been with us for a while we actually wrote about this in our horror queers article series back in 2019 which is why we haven't covered it sooner this is true, yes, and I have actually also covered this on a podcast when I guested on Homos on Haunted Hill. We're going to have to make a drinking game for every time you say, I did this on a podcast, because I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's happening a lot with movies that we're covering. <laughs> Look, I only have seven different podcasts, so I get a lot, you know what, I get around a lot, Trace. Oh my god, of course you do. Uh, anyway, well, before I just like re jump to this microphone and strangle you, why don't mm -hmm. we bring in our guest to help us talk about this secretly queer film mm. all right everyone he is the host of the scream queens podcast a twice monthly look at the weird and wonderful world of horror movies as seen through his very gay eyes please welcome to the stage patrick walsh Ooh. hello gentlemen hello welcome to welcome to the show for the first time Thank you. For the first time, yes. And since everybody's entering using quotes for the movie, I'm going to go with, you can even fondle my breasts. Oh, I did write that down. <laughs> <laughs> 
So are you two going to fight the whole time? Because I feel like it's when you go to somebody's house for a threesome and the couple's just like, they, they're, never mind, it's weird. <laughs> Look, daddy and daddy are having a rough night, okay? <laughs> then why did you invite me over? Oh, that's why you invited me. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah you're the icebreaker. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know what kind of threesome parties you attend, but, you know, ours are fine. Rude. But Rude. welcome, Patrick. So tell us, what, Thank you. what is your connection with Night of the Creeps, if anything? Well, to be fair, it's a movie I I uh, didn't love until recently. I, ha Ooh. I had trauma. Involved. Not really trauma, but uh, way back in the day, because listeners, I'm 3,000 years old. So <laughs> I remember when this came out in the movie theaters. <laughs> and um, before it even came out, it, there had been a great spread in Fangoria magazine. That's how I knew about it. And I was in high school, I guess my junior year, and I'd been talking to a friend of mine, Harmon. Harmon, if you're out there, I'm going to be talking about you right now. He's like, oh, I've got a date with this girl over the weekend. What movies are out? I said, oh, this movie's coming. called Night of the Creeps. It looks great. Uh-oh. And mm -hmm. then Monday came around, and Harmon ripped my face off. Oh. <laughs> so the date did not go well. That was – yeah, I ruined – yeah, of course, yes. Why are you coming to me for dating advice, for A? But, you know, I got my face ripped off. And then that got in my head that it was the worst movie ever. So when I finally did see it, that trauma carried with me. So I was like, eh. Mm. But over the years, it's grown on me. It's a sweet little mishmash of a film that's got so much heart in it. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, th this is not, like, a, a great film for me. Like, I don't, like, I have it a three and a half out of five because I think it's a really, really fun, and I think sweet is the best word to do for it because even mm -hmm. though we have faceless cats, <laughs> faceless humans, um, gratuitous titties, a lot Ooh. of gore, at the same time, it, it, this feels also very much like a bro movie sometimes to me, but sure. at the same time, I, I find it very charming. <laughs> Very charming, and it has all these things. It's got all these things. Like, first of all, I always forget when the movie starts. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forget that we start in space. Oh, I forget there's mm -hmm. aliens. Oh, I forgot they have cute little butts. Oh, I forget we're in the 50s. Oh, I forget <laughs> we're in the 50s for like 20 minutes. Oh, I forget there's an axe murderer. All I remember is the slugs and the exploding heads. But you get <laughs> all so of this much. mishmash together, but then there's also these moments of genuine emotion yeah. and mm -hmm. real, real things like suicide that are handled with gravitas. So it's, it's on, it, like, I think that's what threw me initially is that it's on. On the surface, it's uneven and messy, but so's life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I like it. I, I've grown to love it. Joe, because I, I, I honestly haven't watched this since we wrote about it all those years ago. And right. I didn't listen to your other podcast appearance. So <laughs> of course not. <laughs> well, how does this hold up for you on a rewatch? Yeah, I mean, I think when Patrick said it's a little messy on the surface, that is true. Like if you're going in looking for a movie that is consistent at times this film will feel like a weird mishmash the pacing can be a little uneven in certain parts but for me it is the heart it's a it's all about the relationship between jc and chris and it doesn't hurt that jc is a total cutie patootie but mm -hmm. it feels like the movie brings a certain freshness in its approach where it could have been more of a bro film and instead it does feel like it has heart yeah i guess l let me let me modify my, my classification this is a bro film i just meant it feels like a bunch of straight dudes got together a bunch of straight movie fans got together and wrote a movie and even though this is fred decker's script it just feels like that kind of vibe but it's not off-putting to me no i mean it's done with such love it's not yeah. done we're just not we're not throwing things in just because they're cool everything's there for a reason and I, and one of the things that I think really helps is the, oh Jesus I don't have the cast list in front of me because I have eighty five million things going on I'm a terrible podcaster um, um Chris 
the actor Jason Lively. Jason Lively. <laughs> Jason, the casting of Jason Lively is so good because he is a dork. And I say that with love. Like, he's not some hot Hollywood dude that they threw glasses on. He is mm-hmm. a dork. He's a dork at the beginning of the movie. He's a dork at the end of the movie. And yeah. I, I think that's part of the charm. He doesn't go through this, like, bro thing where he turns into Rambo. No. He turns into the dorkiest hero ever, and I think that's a, that's a, that's a plus. Well, I actually love that both – because both Chris and um, Cindy – I did not know Cindy was a nickname for Cynthia, by the way. But they both kind of become Rambo. I, I, part yeah. of, I love this climax where it's just he's got the shotgun. She's got the flamethrower. Let's go kill a bunch of creeps, which are aliens, but also mm-hmm. a bunch of frat boy douchebags. And also, this yeah. is our first date, so our second date is going to be really hard to tell. <laughs> <laughs> this relationship is dead the water. Yeah, it, it's hitting a peak very early on. <laughs> Actually, I think I have one more connection that I want to throw out for the movie because he'd be mad at me if I didn't. Um, I used to sing with the New York City Gay Men's Chorus, and in the Gay Men's Chorus, this a guy named Michael. And he was not in my section, so you don't really know people who don't sing in the same section with you because there's so many freaking people. But I knew who he was because he was the photographer. He takes pictures of everything. Very sweet, quiet, smart guy. And one night after rehearsal, we're out at a bar, and I – He's, I walk up to the bar to get a drink, and he's standing there, and I look at his shirt, and his T-shirt says, Wolfman's Got Nards. Mm. And I went, oh, my God, your shirt. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's from a movie. It's from the Monster Squad. He's like, yeah, I know. I love that movie. He goes, oh, yeah, my brother directed it. What? Uh, hi, Michael Decker from the New York City Gay Men's Chorus. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I've known you for three years, and this is just coming up now. But okay, that's fine. That's fine. I see how it is. Maybe that's why Fred Decker is so, like, open to the queer interpretations of the JC character in this movie. Because even when we wrote our article, Joe, he shared it on his Facebook page and was like, hey, everyone, let's discuss. Well, funny thing, a million years ago, I went to Har Had Weekend, and they had a Night of the Creeps weekend. It was the first time a lot of the cast were seeing each other. It was the, the premiere of the director's cut ending. So mm. the whole cast was there, and I remember at the screening, they had a Q&A, and I was sitting next to Fozzie Bear from Night of the Living Podcast. And his hand went up immediately at the Q&A. At the Q&A. He goes, um, so how do you feel that Chris and JC are totally a gay couple? And there was that blank look that you just saw. They were like, yeah, oh, okay. But the thing is, as this Q&A went on, like, it started to resonate with people, like, with the actors. And like, you know what? You're right. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Those two were a couple for the rest of the weekend. JC and Chris, the actors, were, like, walking around holding hands like, we're a gay couple now. We had no idea. <laughs> so it was like, Appropriating our culture. <laughs> they, yeah, but they weren't, they weren't doing it in a, in a mocking way. They were just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we didn't see this. Oh, right. for sure. I mean, it, it's, it's you know, and not to discredit the fact and obvious thing that two straight men can love each other and mm-hmm. be very good friends. Oh, sure. But the, the, their dialogue in two scenes specifically, like, really lend itself to a queer reading of these characters. I mean, I don't know if you want to go down this road now, but I'm going to say it's really only one. I mean, it's one, one-sided. It's one-sided. JC's the gay one. He's, he's, he loves Chris, and Chris has no idea. Oh! Yeah, no, that's probably true. That's probably true. We'll have a lot to discuss with JC, yeah, too, especially. Yeah. And as a Christ figure, because his name is JC. <laughs> oh. um, his last name is Carpenter. Like, he, actually, is he, his name John he Carpenter? He rises from the dead, Trace. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Sorry, James Carpenter. It's James Carpenter, not John Carpenter. But, um, oh, God. Actually, drinking game. Every time a famous horror director's name, last name is thrown out. I feel like this is actually one of the first films I ever saw that did that kind of, you know what, every character's last name is going to be a famous horror movie. Because it 
it started to feel like such a trope when we got to the 90s, huh? Yeah, I mean, I saw it in something recently. I'm like, really? We're still doing this? And you think <laughs> mm-hmm. it's cool? Like, I did it in my shitty teenage screenplay that I was writing where I was like, this oh. is so meta. It's so cute. And then it's like, oh, people have been doing this for 20 years. I yeah. think I think it's more impressive in a time like the 80s when the internet didn't exist. But sure. now that the internet exists, like it's like you have to try a lot harder to be clever. And unfortunately, showing off your knowledge of horror filmmakers' names isn't clever anymore. But it was at this time and that to me is where it starts to like i'm not suggesting this film does it but when i see it nowadays that to me feels like bro culture where it's just like look yeah. me and my friends got together we wrote this screen but why do i use this voice <laughs> my friends and i got together and we wrote this screenplay and we thought it was so cool. it's really hot and butch <laughs> Me and my buddies got together for naked wrestling and screenplay writing. Oh, my God. Well, let's talk about where this film came from. Because, I mean, this is Fred Decker's directorial debut. He did a bit of writing before. But he was basically a baby director. He made this when he was about 26 years old. And he was one of those guys, uh, unsurprisingly, that grew up watching a lot of schlocky sci-fi B-movies. So, you know, he was also one of those kids that went and bought an 8mm camera and started making his own films when he was like a preteen and a teenager. Oh, my God. He was a fableman. Oh, my God. <laughs> I wonder if you would talk about that movie as much if you liked it. Uh, wow. Probably not. Oh, my God. <laughs> they're, fight- they're fighting again. <laughs> Should I just go? Look, I'm just going to go. Okay. <laughs> no, you're fine. Patty. You have to be the mediator, obviously. Oh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> just what you want to hear in a threesome. Exactly. <laughs> I get to be the referee. <laughs> but um, after a few years in the industry, uh, Decker had a sudden idea for a screenplay. And funnily enough, the first thing that came to him while he was just waking up from a nap was the line, thrill me. And Ooh. he was like, okay, that's where my screenplay is going to start. But who's going to say thrill me? And he was like, okay, it's a guy who's two-fisted and tough, but he's awakened by the phone and he sits up and he answers it and he goes, thrill me. Okay, cool. That's your idea for a screenplay. <laughs> From there, he tried to figure out who this guy was, and he decided, okay, well, this guy's going to be a cop. And the call, obviously, is going to be he's getting a call about a crime. At the same time, he was developing a short film about two teenage boys, a main character and a sidekick, sidekick being a disabled boy. Uh, so rather than make that short film, he was like, you know what? I've already got this idea going. Let me just put these two characters in this movie that I'm just now starting with this thrill me cop. Okay, cool. A and B put together. Then he was like, okay, I got a love interest. So he does that. And then he's like, okay, well, what am I going to do with the conflict for this film? And he's like, oh, zombies, but b- b- from space aliens. <laughs> and he's like, okay, cool. Let's do that. We'll get some pretty girls, have them take their clothes off, and take all this B-movie crap, put it in a blender, and as I said, hit the puree button, which is exactly what Night of the Creeps is. And puree is the gayest button on the blender. <laughs> it's because there's an accent over one of the E's. It's because it's French. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in French is like, wait, am I gay? <laughs> no, no, that is true. <laughs> oh, no, Patrick. <laughs> um, so he writes the script and he sends it to producer Charles Gordon, who was also a baby producer at the time. Um, but in two years, he would go on to executive produce a little movie called Die Hard. Anyway. Two CAA agents told him that they had this incredible script and he had to read it, but he had to read it on his lunch break and he was really inconvenienced and he was like, fuck you guys. But then his lunch got canceled, so he read it. <laughs> <laughs> and he loved it. So he took it to TriStar Pictures and they agreed to distribute the film. And 
Before we get on, because I don't have a ton of the production, everything seemed pretty harmonious with the filming. Um, it, even though everyone was a little nervous because Decker was apparently a very shy person, they were like, ooh, is he going to be able to command this film set? Uh, apparently day one, he, it, like, he like switched into uh, basically the Rambo of film and he was on top of his shit. Nice. But when it comes to the film's effects, uh, Decker went looking through the trade magazines for someone to achieve his vision. And he saw an article about David B. Miller, who had previously done special makeup effects on 1984's Night of the Comet and A Nightmare on Elm Street, as well as 1985's Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning, the Jason-less one. You know, going to the trade magazine sounds a lot dirtier than it is. <laughs> so, what? Okay, I know what a trade magazine is. Like, I know what it is. But what is the name of one? Like, is it just called, like, makeup? effects like guys the hollywood reporter <laughs> yeah variety stuff like that oh so they actually like okay god i'm cutting that out <laughs> I, I, I thought they were like specific publications like for industry people that was like oh almost like classified sections oh my god foley magazine i love it <laughs> looking for a foley per person here's your magazine for it maybe it's more of a pamphlet <laughs> <laughs> now you gotta keep it in I know. But yeah, so Decker reaches out to Miller. It's like, hey, I would love you to do the effects for Night of the Creeps. And so Miller was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I need to work, sure. Exactly. But he brings in Howard Berger and Robert Kurtzman, a.k.a. the K and the B in K&B effects group. K&B effects would actually be established two years after this movie came out. So they were still also not, not really babies in the industry, but they hadn't formed the juggernaut that was that is K&B effects. Also, you're cut off from saying the word baby in this episode. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's my fetish. <laughs> Ew. Ew. Oh my god. No, I, 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 uh, never mind. Um, this, okay, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> it's taking a dark turn. I'm just thinking about like, men who are in a baby play. You know, they wear diapers and they like, you know, we're they, done. They, I'm done. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, I thought you were just attracted to like Nepo baby. That's why you kept saying no it. baby play, man. It's all the rage nowadays. Gross. Get out of here. <laughs> But anyway, so these guys were brought in so close to filming that they were like, okay, so why don't we just become the zombies ourselves? So they did the makeup test on themselves. They did the cat body cast on themselves. They are in the movie. And right. this meant that they got to avoid having to go through the casting process for just like be like background zombies. Sure. Hmm. Okay, so so what happened with this film? So basically, test screenings actually went really well. And this is like, they're kind of still kind of far out. But because of those, the studio was like, oh my god, this is awesome. We have what is essentially a horror film that is attracting just as many girls as it is boys. So... Ooh, shocker. I know. But they were they were like ready. They were cool. This, this is was not, that was a novel idea at the time. Who would have they thought? Did, I know. They didn't know. In the they, 80s, as if we haven't learned anything by then. It was like a thousand years ago, okay? It was last millennium but here's the thing so while they had test screenings that went really well they had a disastrous preview screening and i'm assuming the difference here is that the preview screening is like the movie's pretty much done how do people react to it um i don't know but basically in this preview screening the film was shown in an unfinished state and decker had said that he didn't realize how much of a movie should be done before you show it to people oh no <laughs> oops so he thought the audience would be fairly forgiving, um, being shown what was essentially an unfinished cut. So there was missing scenes and unfinished effects. The issue with this was the end of the film. So they did a preview screening at MGM, which is now Sony, and it was mortifying for Decker. Um, it's one of the reasons the ending was changed, because um, surprisingly enough, so everyone, there are two versions of this film. There's a theatrical cut with a dog ending and a 
director's cut ending with um a spaceship a and, a, and a graveyard yeah yeah we'll go through them at the end for sure thankfully the one that was streaming on amazon prime actually was the director's cut even though it wasn't noted as such oh really okay but anyway, so during the, the the actual director's cut ending, the, the the spaceship wasn't finished. And so no one knew what it was. There was like something going across the screen that didn't look like a spaceship. And <laughs> the studio and the audience is like, what is this? And Decker's like, oh, we'll just read the script. It's in the script. Not re- not taking into account that the audience couldn't read the right. script. <laughs> <laughs> So the studio heads were nervous after the reactions to the screening. They were very impulsive. And they gave Decker more money. And they said, hey, here's more money. Go d- fix your ending. What he did instead was he added the shed sequence that's in the climax when Chris and Cindy oh. get trapped in the shed. Nice. Good call. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> I think it's a good call. But unfortunately, because it didn't fix the ending, they were like, you need to shoot a new ending. So that's when he made Okay, the you're going to have to give me more money then. Oh, no. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, when it came to that original ending, though, the people involved thought it went on a bit too long. And they were like, eh, eh, that to me is also really funny because I'm like, it goes on for like, maybe... it's like 90 seconds yes. compared to a minute. Yes, but, but, but the ending that wound up in the theatrical prints is a gotcha ending. It's a shock ending. Right. It's a black. It is. Yeah. And that's, that's what people want. This one was this one you have to think about. And it, and it also doesn't the technically director's cut doesn't wrap up. But we're talking about the end, even though it's not the end. Here we are. Well, but, but that's the thing. And so, like, they were like, OK, well, we have this longer ending. Is it really worth it when the movie proper has essentially already finished? And so, yeah, they wanted to do this gotcha ending. And even Decker in interviews, he was like, look, I have seen Carrie. I have seen all the million imitators, shitty imitators of that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I had to get an ending. And so I came up with this dog ending. And it's I'm to blame for this. But that is what it is. But the problem is, too, audiences felt cheated by that dog ending since it went against the tone of the film. Mm-hmm. Kind of being bleak, right? Like, like, we went through all this. Why does Cindy get a slug in her face? <laughs> right. Um, so after this, the studio got cold feet and tried to figure out how they could make the best money off of the film. So first... There was an issue with the marketing because the first poster they came out with was a zombie hand breaking through a glass door and grabbing a doorknob. And both Fred Decker and producer Charles Gordon were like, um, so this movie called House came out last year and it is a disembodied hand ringing a doorbell. And so if you put that poster in theaters, people are going to think that they've already seen this movie. Right. Correct. And the studio was like, oh, that's cute. And this is where I'm getting the baby from, by the way. But y'all are baby directors and baby producers. So we're going to do what we want. <laughs> you do not have my consent to keep calling me that. <laughs> anyway, the studio didn't listen to them. And on top of this, and here's the other thing, because I think this is what really fucked them over. And Decker admits to this. Decker was getting very frustrated. And he believes that this impeded his relationship with the studio. He thinks he made a lot of fundamental mistakes on the politics of the industry and basically Ooh. pissed the studio off so much that they were like whatever dude so instead of giving it a wide release they gave it a regional release which means that this movie opened in 70 screens in the u.s and canada on august 22nd 1986 making just over two hundred thousand dollars its opening weekend in the 20th slot yeah you're not gonna come back from that Mm mm-mm no. So this movie went on to gross just under $600,000 domestically, and it did Oof. not get an international release. So that's all the money it made on a $5 million budget. So it's a massive flop. Huge flop. Um, I do think it, it eventually found an audience on probably home video, which would have been mm-hmm. probably in the early 90s. Nevertheless, it, it has become a cult hit. I mean, the documentary that's on the, the DVD and the Blu-ray, 
they talk about like a, a, a repertory screening at the Alamo Draft House in Austin, Texas, where like they had a huge cast. Like it was where everyone realized, oh shit, people like this movie, and it was from like 2009. Well, it's also a Fred Decker trait. There's movies that don't catch on immediately. Well, and that that that's that's the thing because he 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 was disheartened, and because not only this, and then the year after this, the Monster Squad came out. Flop. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, the same studio. It's still TriStar. They gave him a $14 million budget for The Monster Squad, and that movie made less than $4 million. But I think The Monster Squad is actually a better financial investment because it has a broader appeal. It just seems like TriStar was really stupid, which is maybe why they don't <laughs> exist today. Maybe they saw the potential. Sure. <laughs> like dum-dums. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, Night of the Creeps did actually get a decent critical reception. Um, there's a, p- a part of the documentary, too, where they point out that uh, the New York Times gave it a mildly positive review, and which they never did for horror movies at the time. But um, today, it's got a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 6.8 out of 10, and Letterboxd users have awarded it a 7.2 out of 10. And of course, Better. yes, the film is now considered a cult classic and well-beloved by many people. Yay. 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 Podcast over. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's it. So why don't we talk about what happens in this movie? Okay. So we open on a spaceship, which, as Patrick alluded to, is the the thing everyone always seems to forget about this movie. Because really, the spaceship only begins the film. And then if you're not watching the director's cut, you will never see this again. And it therefore makes no difference. But yeah. Yeah, so we're on a spaceship, and we've got this alien with a big badonkadonk. They're so cute! They're so cute and weird-looking. I know I like them, they're cute! (laughs) I want to squeeze the little aliens! I like them. I just like the little butts, I want to squeeze them. Sorry, that's inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what's funny is, you know, this movie flopped, and, like, the vibe of this movie, and the one I... It reminds me of of Tim Burton's Mars Attack, which actually was going to be exactly ten years later, it's a little bit more gory, but both of them, I think, have the same kind of, like, sense of humor about themselves and deal with, like, the comedy and the violence in very similar ways, except Creeps has the heart that Mars Attacks definitely does not have. Mm-hmm. Although you could say the Sarah Jessica Parker, Pierce Brosnan stuff is, like, kind of in that area, but yeah. Oh, yeah, I do feel sad when they die. Yeah, <laughs> but they still die in that movie, whereas in this movie, everybody kind of gets their happy ending. Except the gay guy. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> it's the 80s <laughs> okay so this badonkadonk alien basically has an experiment that the other aliens do not want him or her or it to get rid of but uh, lo and behold it is jettisoned out of the spaceship and it falls down to earth so on earth we are in sorority row 1959 and the movie is temporarily in black and white because it's old-timey and fun. Rewinding a tiny bit, though, what is, what's going on with these aliens? Why is there a rogue alien that wants to throw this experiment into space? I have an answer to that because I didn't. I was looking at IMDb and I noticed that there are two, there are three aliens listed mm-hmm. in the cast, and one of them is listed as zombie alien. So one of them is infected. Uh, so it's trying to like propagate the species yes. in a way. Yes. See, Interesting. we should have seen the other aliens blow a hole in this one's head and see the slugs get out. But they were too cute. You're going to do that to a cute little alien. The audience would have turned immediately. Or Killing they had to blow a hole in that Aes because it looked like that was packing slugs. Uh, <laughs> it looked like it was wearing a diaper. <laughs> Babies! 
Oh my God, Trace, get out of here. <laughs> I didn't know this was the Groomer cast. And I'm not okay with this. <laughs> <laughs> We're changing the name. It's going to be a whole rebranding thing. Oh yeah. Okay, so we have Johnny, who is played by Ken Heron. He pulls up in a convertible in front of this sorority house. And just as he's parking, he's turning off a announcement on the radio from something about a, a criminally insane person at the mental hospital but it's not important because he's <laughs> there to pick up pam who is played by alice Codigan, and they are on their way to a makeout spot and lo and behold they run afoul of pam's ex who is police officer ray cameron played by dave allen johnson as a younger man and Ray kind of begrudgingly accepts the fact that Pam has moved on. He tells them to go home because they should have listened to the radio. And then he leaves them be. You know, Except had Ray, young Ray, had a bitch and mustache, Pam would never have dumped him and this movie would never happen. Okay, but like at this sorority, like they're talking about it. And then this girl's like, come on, Muffy. The guy's a cop. He's got no future. And I was like, is the police, <laughs> was the police profession not looked on as like a respectable job back in the 80s? Okay. Trace, I want you to take a look at this university that we're at. Mm -hmm. This university where there are apparently no teachers, nobody mm -hmm. goes to class, nobody nope. talks about class. The only nope. the only people in this town are college students and cops. That's it. Oh, oh no, you are wrong, Patrick. Because and the soon, house mother, <laughs> as as the sorority row nineteen fifty nine like title card comes up, you can just hear in the background some girl going, "Oh, I gotta pass this test. I gotta get an A." <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was back in 1957. They gave that shit up. <laughs> like in oh. the 80s, really, it was just a party. It was like the town was a university. The university was a was just a party city. That's it. There was no school. You know what? Let's have a college with no school. It was a revolutionary concept of the time. Well, okay, you are right, mostly, <laughs> except for the fact that there is some top secret science facility that houses cryogenically frozen human beings. Right. Well, yeah. hello. <laughs> what what's a party without a cryogenically frozen human being? <laughs> Hello, that's where you make the ice cubes yeah, that, the, like, you, do... You put the beer in the... <laughs> yeah, it's like dry ice. That's where you get uh -huh. the dry ice for your drink. It's like a giant cooler, but with dick in it. It's Miller time. Oh it's it's Miller time. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, basically, our couple splits up. Johnny sees a shooting star, which we all know is the alien experiment. So he follows that into the woods as Pam hears about this escaped mental patient. And then Johnny gets infected in the woods and Pam is killed by an axe-wielding maniac. And, you know, none of this would have happened if they had just listened to Julia Marchese's rules on the um, Hard Movie Survival Guy podcast. She's got that rule. Whatever horror movie survivor rules is don't poke space shit, which could be extended to don't follow shooting stars. They do this all the time in the movies. Why do you got to go look for it? This feels very the blobby, too. But I mean, I will go back to, to the line you pointed out, Patrick. I uh, guffawed when she just goes, I'll even let you fondle my breasts. <laughs> <laughs> Mm -hmm. It was the 50s. Fondling the breast was a big deal. It was a big deal. You get, with those cone bras, you could cut your hand. It was serious. Man. <laughs> okay, so our our couple that we maybe thought we were going to follow are presumably dead at this point. So we smash cut to Pledge Week 1986, and we move into color. Yep, it's colorful. It is no longer black and white. Yes, Trace, that, that, <laughs> that, that's that would what be... that means. That would be what that means, yeah. <laughs> 
I like this as a stylistic device because I think it's it's fun and playful, but it also cues us to the fact that Decker does know exactly what he's doing in his hobashas. Oh, for sure. I mean, everything about this movie is very tongue in cheek, including the stylistic decisions. Tongue in cheek, but it's also well done. Like this, like a lot of times when you have a, especially a horror movie that opens up in the ago time. Yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't look right. It doesn't. It looks like it was smashed together. Right. This, the costumes look right. There's a lot of people involved. There's a lot of extras in the scene. So, and mm-hmm. the cars look right. The mu- the music they use actual music, which costs money, right. <laughs> and it's a long sequence. So they, the fact that they didn't rush things, and took the time to get you into that place of 1957 even it was just to set the scene for the rest of the movie just kind of set the tone that we're doing this with care we're not it's not just an afterthought we're putting in the 50s because Mm -hmm. in the 50s because this is where all good movies like this should start well and that's the thing i I will say like because decker actually hasn't directed that many films because because of the reception of this and monster squad but this is a very like confident debut for him oh yeah yeah, like he very clearly knows what he's doing, which is ironic given what you said about how people had concerns about whether or not he was going to be able to command a set. It's like, well, he clearly had the vision. Oh, yeah. So, Pledge Week 1986, we are introduced to Chris Romero, played by Jason Lively, <laughs> and he is walking with his disabled best friend and college roommate, JC, who is played by Steve Marshall. And this is when Chris spots an angel, a goddess, Cynthia Cronenberg, played by Jill Whitlow. I actually do love the gender reversal here, too, right? Because the guy, it's the guy who's falling in love with the girl literally just by seeing her. Mm. And I do, I mean, this lively family, man, like, <laughs> I have, have y'all seen Teen Witch? I have not. Joel, I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm literally shocked you haven't seen it because it would have been on like on TV a lot. I feel like when you were growing up. I didn't watch TV as a kid. I, oh, right. I am singing I Like Boys in my head right now. Oh, there I'm seeing Top That. <laughs> well, there's that, too. But, I, <laughs> but, like, he and Robin Lively, but then I guess they share a father with Blake Lively because Blake Lively mm. was born the year after this movie came out. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. But nevertheless, I, I just had to point out that fun bit of Nepo Baby trivia. Blake Lively might actually be a creep. We don't know. <laughs> okay, so overall in Scream Queens... I discovered this um, subgenre of horror films that I like to call This One Bitch. And I realized watching this time that Night of the Creeps is a This One Bitch movie. Explain. What does that mean? Well, uh, This One Bitch movie is a film in which, let's just say, once upon a time, this one bitch did something wrong. And now it's 25 years later and some guy comes and wants to get revenge on this one bitch. But instead of just killing this one bitch, she kills everybody except that one bitch. And everything <laughs> is this one bitch's fault that everybody dies except her. The example that I use is, like, I still know what you did last summer. Right. Uh, everybody in that island dies had, had nothing to do with anything that went on. It, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. All right. So, so how does it apply to this? <laughs> had Chris not fallen in love with some girl that he just looked at? And had he not had a gay best friend that <laughs> supported this delusion? That they were going to have a relationship, then none of this movie would have happened. That's a lot of hypotheticals. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is straight people should stop falling in love and they should just fuck their best friends who are gay. I'm just thinking about my friend. I have my my straight girlfriends who are tell me all this time. Like I meet a guy, I, they meet me across, they see me across the room and they think we're having a relationship and we've never spoken. And it's creepy. Apparently, this is a common straight dude thing. And Ooh. this is a whole movie based on that. 
Like, you don't know her. You've never even said a word to her. Why are you in love with her? Because of the bazoongas. The I'm sorry. Bazoongas. Because, no, because of the Hogans. <laughs> the Hogans. <laughs> that was weird. I had never heard that term before in my life. I, the, one I, with, the one with the Hogans? Okay, so I thought that uh, – because I, I, it's so funny that you say that because I, I Googled that because I was like – I thought it was maybe referring to an item of clothing she was wearing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe the Hogan family and Sandy Duncan were standing over there. I <laughs> guess. But yeah, I've, I've never heard of the tits referred to as Hogan's. No. What a gross, <laughs> what, gross thing to say. Well, I mean, on, okay. <laughs> when that girl said breasts earlier in the film, I was like, is that what women say when they're getting fucked? Do they say, like, touch my breasts? They did in 1957. I mean, maybe. Okay, there yeah. You go. <laughs> okay. So. I yes, know. They... I was there. <laughs> I'm very old. <laughs> So we do follow Cynthia into this party at the Beta House, which is a fraternity on campus. And this is where JC interrupts unibrow frat guy Steve, who is played by David Oliver. And he basically pitches Chris. So he acts as his agent and proposes that they go on a date. I, I do love that. Chris, the man has one continuous eyebrow. <laughs> which he 100% does. It's so good. That guy had to sit in special effects makeup chair for like five hours getting that that eyebrow done i love that i hope so because the whole the movie budget went to that eyebrow and it's totally worth it i mean if not that caterpillar deserved its own credit oh my god but so we have jc doing all the legwork for chris here and uh -huh. chris, that's chris offensive is, that's it, offensive that's ableist trace come on oh god ah! <laughs> that was not an intentional pun on my part <laughs> This is where the audience turns on Trace. I know, this is true. <laughs> I think they already turned on me so a while ago. So close to canceled so often. <laughs> so anyway, we had this disabled friend, disabled gay friend doing all the work mm -hmm. for Chris to get this girl in his pants. It's so true, but it's because Chris is hurting. We learn that he has recently love sickened because some girl dumped him. Um, missed opportunity to not have this girl be a character in the movie so we can kill her off. I mean, this movie has a lot going on. Unless it's some other girl that he looked at once and obsessed over for three <laughs> years. Quite quite possibly. And never possible. actually spoke to. I don't like how you're painting Chris as a as a bad guy. He's so No, it's not a bad guy. I just no, he's he's a dork and he's he's shy. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but just I just think he's socially awkward and he's not helped by his he's got a serious sweater problem. He does. Those sweaters are sweaters. all awful, awful. He's never gonna have sex in those sweaters ever. <laughs> it's Los Angeles. Nobody's wearing sweaters. What's going on with these bulky sweaters, honey? That's true. And then you look at JC's wardrobe, and I was like, oh my god, he is giving me, um, what am I thinking of? Ferris Bueller. He's giving Ferris Bueller energy. Yeah, Ferris Bueller, Ducky energy, 100%. Oh, yes. Ducky's a good one. But, he, but, okay, I think he's so cute, but he looks so like a less nerdy version of the Wizard Master Kid from Nightmare on Elm Street 3. How dare. But, no. no. <laughs> what? Just because he's also disabled? Is that what you're trying to say? Oh is this all disabled people? Like? <laughs> Holy shit, Trace. <laughs> I'm just digging myself into a hole. No, they look they look very similar. Um, and they're both very cute. Nice save. <laughs> nice save. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he... Here's the problem. JC is the star of this movie, right? Like, we have a bit of a boring protagonist syndrome with Chris, which is not to say that Lively is a bad actor. He's doing no. exactly what he needs to do. But JC is so fucking charismatic in this movie. Well, it's a low stakes game for Chris. It's just boy meets girl. Right. Well, boy doesn't meet girl. Boy wants to meet girl. Will boy meet girl. It's not very high stakes, but there you can tell right away there's more at stake for JC. Like, he's 
more involved in keeping – I need to keep my friend happy because that mm-hmm. makes me happy because yes. I secretly love him. Well, no, not secretly. He, well, I guess he tells him after he dies. But yes, he does love him. I think we're at – it's just – well, it's that age. Like he has – you know, they haven't had that conversation yet. You know, JC right. hasn't figured it out yet. He's starting to be like, oh, we're not going to be friends for much longer, are we? Right. Right. Because you're going to smell it on me. Oh, God. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's the way I – I, I was referred like I, I referred to like my friends. But yeah, all of a sudden, I, I, the people I hung out with junior high, everything was fine. Then one day something changed, and it was like all of a sudden like they it's knew. Not gay on you? Yeah, like the, there's that spidey sense. They're like there's something different about this one. We've all yeah. gone through a change, and you haven't come with us. You've gone another way. Hit it's hit them with hormones, rocks. and also you have half naked pictures of men on your walls. They're called the Stations of the Cross. Joe. Oh right, sorry. Yes, yeah. religious artifacts. Sorry, Thank sorry. you. <clears throat> artifacts. <laughs> Okay, so the boys decide that the best way to win over Cindy's heart is to pledge Beta, which looks like an absolutely horrendous fraternity, in no small part because it is led by Cynthia's actual boyfriend, Brad Skeller, who is played by Alan Kayser in... I mean, it's the hair, right? The hair just screams villain in this movie. It always makes me laugh so hard whenever these sweet, sweet girls are dating these huge, enormous assholes. Thankfully, she comes to her senses very quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. But the worst part of this fraternity is that, A, not only is it sponsored by Miller, the only beer they have on tap is Miller High Life. (laughs) Oh, boy. It's like, these boys don't love themselves. They don't have to, yeah. They don't have to. They've got a Cynthia. What I love about Brad, I mean, he is such an absolute douche, and you know it on site, but he's also serving James Spader realness, James Spader uh, New Kids realness. It's funny that you're saying all of this, because I very much like have in my notes a kind of John Hughes reference to Ali Sheedy and Breakfast Club later. Oh, my God. And it's like, yeah, we are doing a kind of weird brat-packy thing with these characters. Oh, see, I I didn't even make the Pretty and Pink connection, James Spader. I was going New Kids, James Spader. There was Sean S. Cunningham film where he had oh. the, where James Spader had bleach blonde hair, like he was blonde but blonde yes. plus, yes, and oh evil. So I was expecting Brad not to just be a douche but an evil douche. But mm. I mean, he kind of is. He if kinda if is. he hadn't died, I feel like he would have been the ultimate villain of this movie. Oh, his, his the entire scene leading up to his like actual like destruction is so fun. Um, apparently, though, this actor was very method during a lot of shooting, so oh, he was no. an actual bully to most of the actors on set uh, to the <laughs> point where I think they're all oh. fine now. But like when production wrapped, they were all kind of like that guy's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I love the fact that Brad is so gross that when he's dead, people don't even notice. Right. <laughs> Brad like looks exactly a, the same. He's got a completely new face. He's like, oh, I know, Brad. But, but it's, it's still giving off the same ew, gross vibe that you get whenever you look at him anyway, so nobody really notices, which I think is fabulous. Yeah. He's just got resting dead face. What can we now, say? Oh, no. <laughs> so in order to pledge Beta, they are tasked with delivering a body and dumping it onto the lawn of a rival fraternity. Time, because that, that gets real gay real quick. I mean, there's always something gay about fraternity stuff anyway, but the whole scene where they're pledging, where they're trying to pledge, and let me make sure I get all the quotes right here. Where are Mm -hmm. we? Mm. Well, I don't know. Maybe if you guys want to perform some kind of act of devotion. (laughs) Jason says, it's not sex with a farm animal, is it? And Brad's like, no. Okay, wait, no. <laughs> so that idea is interesting. Interesting suggestion, but no. <laughs> the, yeah, the, 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 but the, uh, the interesting suggestion, but no. The actual answer is all of us. 
Yeah. <laughs> you have sex with all of us right now. Oh, they're all 100% fucking the second that, that Chris and JC leave this room. Ugh. But in a straight bro kind of way. Well, these look like future bankers and or like Donald Trump acolytes in the future. This is actually one of my beats with the movie is that the fraternity boys didn't go together. Mm. Like there were some really dirtbag looking guys in the fraternity and the other ones looked like they were from the country club. I'm like, these people shouldn't be hanging out together. Right. Whereas like everybody at the sorority house in both time periods felt right. Like yes. they were giving me they were giving me the uh, Morgan Fairchild sorority in the initiation of Sarah realness where it feels like they're all real estate agents. <laughs> <laughs> they're all going to be real estate agents like this all feels right. Yeah. But the fraternity didn't feel right. Maybe it was because they were they, maybe it was because none of them were, were like making out. That's probably like they all need to be making out. Then it would make sense. Now I understand why you're hanging out. We eventually get to see them all shower. So we get that. They just don't make out. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of tits out montage in there. So because <laughs> it's a getting ready montage. One of my favorite things, but we'll get there. <laughs> yes. First, we have to get to the medical center. So this is where they accidentally stumble onto Johnny, who has been cryogenically frozen in stasis at, at, and- a, at a student research facility. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're I, I had it in my notes that there's like this lab assistant who apparently his name is Hollister. He's played by character actor David Pamer. Yes, he David! is. Yes. Which are like, I don't know if he was famous or a character actor at this point. But are that you kidding? Face is so recognizable. He was in This House Possessed, which I covered on it came from the 70s. And mm-hmm. when I was going through his IMDb, it's. 45 pages long it's like 400 yeah. credits starting in the surprised. 70s so he was a character actor at this point not yet an oscar nominee and tony and tony award for musical nominee he he oh. i don't know if i would say it was because with films like this was only his like uh he, he did start in the 70s he was a cab driver in the in-laws and he was a photographer in airplane too this year he uh, i'm sorry oh in 1985, he was in Perfect. <laughs> Ooh. And right after Perfect, he does Howard the Duck and then this movie. But oh, Jesus. a lot of those credits you're looking at, Patrick, they're all TV, like one episode stints and TV shows. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> there ain't nothing wrong with that. You you cash that check, baby. And if, if they're call, if they're calling you this much for these teeny tiny parts, you're mm-hmm. doing it right. Oh, 100%. But, that, but I, I, so it was all TV in the 80s. I don't, I don't know if Why I would you say gotta be was... What do you got to be TVist? What's up with you? Tonight. I don't know why you think that my tone is negative towards TV. <laughs> what I am saying <laughs> is that I don't know if I would consider him a character actor, but I, 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 at this point, we're doing one episode stints in like a bunch of sitcoms. Yeah, I mean, I, I think people who maybe had watched TV would have recognized him, but it seemed like he was still breaking into film. And this is an interesting role, right? Because it's not big and it's not showy, but it is still memorable in this movie. Because he can't figure out the simplest code crack on the face of the planet? <laughs> he can't remember the number zero. That's actually one of my favorite, like, my favorite, like, plot contrivances in this film is that he, just, he can't remember the number zero and JC just walks up and goes, zero! <laughs> Because, like, the logical thing would just be to keep entering the code with changing the last digit every time, but that doesn't occur to him because it was the 80s and we didn't have things like Minesweeper and the inter- right. and like computer games right. that taught us things like that. We didn't know. And plus, I love that he couldn't just call on his cell phone. He has to go all the mm-hmm. way upstairs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, three flights to the one pay phone. He's gone the for, like, ten minutes. Making three, hours, <laughs> three hours. Three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so he ends up stumbling upon them when the alarm sounds and they rush out of there at 40 miles an hour screaming like banshees which leaves hollister to eventually be attacked by johnny when he reanimates although he is still very much dead 
I thought it was nice that the college science lab went through the trouble of giving Johnny a pair of freezer panties. Yeah. <laughs> like depends. Yeah, yeah, just just some, just some modesty freezer panties. Mhm. Mm-hmm. That's where your tuition money's going, kids. Right. <laughs> not for the books, not for the classes, not for the maintenance, not for the teachers, it's for all those freezer panties. Well, and maybe the whole center. I, I can't imagine cryogenics is like a cheap endeavor. All those flashing lights. <laughs> oh my god, the lights were so good. All the buttons with no labels, uh-huh. <laughs> switches that don't seem to do anything. I love. I love that. I love. I love fake science things. They're fun. Look, Alien. This ain't. And that's perfectly fine. This is exactly the movie where you can get away with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because that's what you've gotten. That's exactly what you've gotten in nineteen fifties sci-fi movie. Oh yeah. So the two of them have run out and they get back to their uh, college dorm room and JC ends up going on this rant because Chris mocks him or gets mad at him for for thinking of everything as a joke. And JC just kind of lays out the nature of their relationship, which is that he does everything to keep Chris happy because he cares so much about him. Well, so yeah, he has this big monologue, which I will not read, but there's a part of it where he says... You know, you I, I push and I push and I don't give up. And why? Why? You don't even know. You don't even care. And yes, you can just read that as like, oh, he's just saying Chris is too self-involved. Mm-hmm. But the you don't even know could continue into you don't even know that I'm madly in love with in you. In love with you. Yep. 100%. And then he goes on to say, because it's important to me that you're happy. Is that crazy? No, it's called an unrequited love. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if I can't have you, at least I can make you happy this way. Yes. And I'm involved in your life somehow because I know you're going to dump me as soon as you find out. Because it's mm. the because it's the eighties. I do feel really sad that he thought he, he, he like references his crutches and he's like, "Look at me, I'm not getting laid anytime soon." As if like, I, the, I feel so bad for him. And I will say because uh, Steve Marshall, he wanted to know why JC was disabled, and Fred Decker never never tell him because Fred Decker didn't have an answer for that. He just wanted to have a character where his disability Ooh. wasn't like that wasn't his plot. Yeah. Uh, okay i i initially ooed because that sounded really bad like oh i just wanted a disabled character in here and it's like that is not the representation that we're <laughs> looking for but i will say every time i watch this it strikes me that jc seems like a very progressive for the times mm-hmm. character of this type right like yes he's still the best friend yes we still have comments like oh because i have a disability i'm not going to get laid as though disabled people don't have plenty of fucking sex all the time not ones who are pining for their best friends they don't well Well, yeah yeah. i mean well actually maybe that's why he's not gonna have sex anytime soon because he only wants to have sex with chris (laughs) i'm never going to get laid because i only want to fuck you because you will not wake up wake up (laughs) i'm right here but all this to say i love jc not just because i think this performance and this actor are great but Mm. also because this is a very just kind of casual disabled character within this horror film and Mm -hmm. yes his disability does end up playing a part in his eventual fate but it's not "Ooh, i'm too weak to defend myself it's like it feels more substantial than what we were getting in other films well and a part of the reason that jc is disabled is also because remember he's coming from a different short film that decker was writing right and so when he moved those characters over chris and jc he just left them as is so it's possible in the short film there may have been more of a quote-unquote reason to have this character be disabled but nevertheless i think that the representation here is actually pretty solid yeah i mean i i would love to hear from people 
who identify as disabled if they disagree with us. But yeah, from from an outsider's perspective, this seems okay. It's never the butt of a joke. Right. Yes. And considering considering this is the 80s and this movie is a prime example as prime examples of casual 80s fat phobia, casual 80s mm-hmm. homophobia, yeah. casual 80s racism. The fact that they didn't pile on JC for having a right. crutch is something. And I kind of picture that just went for whatever, like just from a writing standpoint, that just when Fred Decker came up with this character, it just he was disabled just because that's right. just the way he came into my head, just the way Thrill Me came into his head. That for some reason this character has to be disabled. And the only re- the only time his disability is against him is when it's Brad when he kicks out his crutches. But again, like that's the villain, uh, one of the villains of the film doing that. So it's like meh. Well, and that's also a turning point in Chris and Cynthia's relationship. Mm -hmm. And to a certain extent, that relationship does include JC until his murder. Sure, it's only one sort of significant sequence. But, you know, it's important that Cynthia invites both of them for a Mm -hmm. walk. For a threesome. Yes. So speaking of sexy times, this is where we get this exchange where I remember, Trace, when we wrote this article, this was the piece that people were like, oh, this was the original you guys are reaching. Oh, 100%. Because we said, you know, them having this back and forth and it's witty and it's funny, but it's also very bro-y where they say, fuck you. No, fuck you. You'd like that. Yeah, I would. You'd let me. Yeah, but that's also subtext, people. That is about real fucking. Well, yeah. no homo. <laughs> well, one way homo. One, yeah, <laughs> some Single homo. homo. And no, it's complex. I mean, he says say, he says say I love you in that speech too, and I just love this whole monologue just because it is mm-hmm. so wonderfully underplayed. Yes, and I think he does a wonderful job. And, yeah, and Marshall's delivery, like it, it all feels so sincere. Like mm-hmm. he's not just saying this because he's angry; he's saying this because he's hurt. Yes, and and I love the fact that JC doesn't end up apologizing. I mean, in a way, his his big monologue is a bit of an apology but it's chris who ultimately says like i'm sorry i i was the asshole and then they have a pillow pillow fight (laughs) which as we all know from 2021 slumber party massacre remake this is a very gay thing 100 (laughs) percent as we know from the opening of sorority uh sorority row this is what girls do at college campuses of course yes (laughs) okay you you jest but like i really want to go to that sorority row party so bad Oh, that party looks like Did I jest? Did I jest? No. When that movie opened, I said, oh, this is is the male gaze in film form. (laughs) Right here. But but it's a gay man's gaze because that director's gay. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> well, because otherwise, otherwise everyone would be topless and making it like we don't want that pillow fight to right. be much more fun. <laughs> Actually, speaking of a movie with a totally like random shower scene, too. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. That was so bizarre. <laughs> well, we have to kill someone. but We have to show a lot of titties, too. I guess so. Heaven forbid a horror movie without titties. Put it on my gravestone. Okay. So, uh, meanwhile, at the beach, randomly, this is revealed to be a nightmare from the adult detective Ray Cameron, who is now played by Tom Atkins. The man, the myth, the mustache. Yes. 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 (laughs) So he is having a nightmare about Pam's death and, you know, there's shit that goes on, but it's not really that important. We just need to know he's still haunted. Beg to differ. What, her coming out in her prom dress? No, not that. There's the woman... In the black bikini who serves mm-hmm. in the coconut drink. Right. She is walking on sand in heels. She's a witch. Okay. But, but <laughs> that, that's how you can tell this is a dream, though, because that, that's yes. such a random detail that I love. But also, you know, like the woman coming out of the water, like completely dry. Mm-hmm. This is also such a wild 
transition from the from from everything before we just cut to tom atkins on a beach sipping a coconut drink (laughs) well it's ironic that dick miller is going to show up later on in this movie because Mm -hmm. it feels like this is a kind of energy that demon knight will end up embodying later in 10 years yeah yeah well but i mean dick miller was in a bunch of those 50 sci-fi movies i think 100 percent. yeah right yeah Yeah, that would that's why he makes sense that's why he's in this right yeah 100 (laughs) percent. 100 percent Okay, so Ray Cameron is called to the scene of this cryogenics lab, and he is immediately angry at Sergeant Ramey, who is played by Bruce Solomon, because he was told that there were two bodies, and when he arrives, there is only one. One thing I never caught on to, this could be a definite reach, is Ramey tells him that two officers went to the bathroom, and then Cameron, Ray Cameron, Tom Atkins' character, calls them candy asses. Oh, huh. I was like, that, again, could just be sort of like bro police dialogue. But it also it seemed very odd that it's like, oh, well, two men left to go to the bathroom together. And that's why a body disappeared. Well, that's because, well, I thought their candy asses because they had to throw up because they saw a dead body, which we don't normally see because this Uh, is the college police department. Right. (laughs) <laughs> this is campus security they're not even police officer exactly. that, because, I, I, don't, I don't hear the phrase candy ass often but that's is that usually used as a derogatory term against gay men that or is, is that the, is a gay slang 100 percent. okay okay i guess i missed that by a decade that's that's old school f-bomb right there yeah Ooh. <laughs> that's a harsh one no it's a harsh one that's a prison term oh there we go oh like sweet okay yeah yeah got it yeah. got it Okay, so Ray is irate because he doesn't understand how a corpse could just get up and walk away. It takes a long time for them to answer that question, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But I do love the fact that Decker just cuts so that we can watch Johnny the Corpsicle walking down the street. (laughs) I love that Johnny the Corpsicle is able to walk across this entire town Mm butt-ass naked and nobody notices (laughs) Well, that happens more than once in this movie, too, because so whenever David Paymer le- leaves and the cop just doesn't look up, he's like, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> well, even but, the number of slugs that are just traveling around in front of people's feet and everybody's too busy just looking for their formal date. Well, I'm sorry. We'll have to get into this but at some point. But I think that slugs are completely inefficient. I'm like, what are you doing? There's, there's, like, there's so many of them. They mm-hmm. never hit a target. And no. like this goes on for days. We should have had a huge invasion by now. But they're just sloppy. They're sloppy. They're slugs. Well, They've got very small brains. It's it's interesting, right? Because it's like the slug. One slug gets into your mouth, lays eggs mm-hmm. in your brain. So when your head explodes, all the slugs come out. Right. But yeah, I, I, they, they, they don't seem too. They're not desperate. You know what? They're taking their time. These are gay they, slugs. That, they will like... infect people when they feel like it. Yes, because there are times where like the, the, the infected people they just stand there, mm-hmm. <laughs> not infecting other people. <laughs> <laughs> they're not ready to hatch yet no that's true they're that's incubating true. they're incubating you can't rush that kind of sexy don't rush the process and you're never gonna they're never gonna they're never gonna shoot squ- slugs out of their, their heads if you keep yelling at them yeah <laughs> <laughs> are you done yet no uh this would make a really good double feature with james gunn slither because i have to assume this film was an influence on that film so much according so. to james gunn he never saw it what i 100 percent call bullshit on that i 100 percent call bullshit well i don't i don't think james gunn's a liar i mean there is too much shared dna between these movies and the fact that i don't know i i just don't buy it i just don't buy it well they both flopped so there and that one cost a lot (laughs) more they did both flop (laughs) but you're correct trace they would make an amazing double feature slugs oh and And shivers (laughs) shivers shivers yeah 
I mean, mm-hmm. you could argue that this movie is also riffing on Shivers because they are about 10 years apart. Actually, is there... Okay, so that's the 70s. This is the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Slither is the 2000s. Is there a right. slug movie in the 90s? You mentioned slugs. When is that from? I think that's the 80s. Mm. Well, <laughs> listeners, reach out. Slug movie of the 90s. Playing that quadruple feature. There we go. <laughs> so, cutting back to Sorority Row, we have Bradster <laughs> dropping off Cynthia at the Kappa Delta house, and she agrees to let Chekhov's brains be relocated to the basement while we wait to figure out what to do with them for biology class. <laughs> brains. Brains for biology class. <laughs> Human brains, Cynthia clarifies. Not stored in the gigantic science facility that this campus <laughs> Why do you have a cryogenics facility if you're not going to put the brains there? It would make sense if this was a med school. Like, I would... Sure. Uh, hey, I'm, this isn't really an Just issue Just let it go let it go let it go it's it's not really an issue for me i'm just saying so dumb (laughs) um so we get a literal cat scare involving gordon the cat and character who i literally had to go through the wikipedia page and check people's like actresses names with the name of the film to see which one actually matched apparently this cat girl is karen played by june harris but you would never know because no one ever references her by name well i don't think she's almost never on camera with anybody else i think most of her stuff was done by herself but you know what as well it should be because that every i think in my mind the first couple times through she was always Mm -hmm. the girl with the glasses or the girl with the cap but this last time i'm like what the fuck are you wearing what is that bow That gigantic bow and that plaid shirt. Who let you into the sorority? Oh, you're a legacy, aren't you? Oh. She would have to be because she you're, – you're right. She doesn't seem to know anyone in here. She never spends time with any of the other girls. She's clearly not going to the formal. So, yeah, she's got a glasses and bow thing going on, doesn't she? <laughs> so she's the house lesbian. She's the sorority house lesbian. She wants to sit around, read her books, and pet her cat. Pet the puss. Oh and God. wear Western gear. Out of go, Karen. I'm on now. I'm on board. I I, I was against you. Now I'm for you. <laughs> you know what, Karen? We've really come around on you. Yep. <laughs> In the thirty seconds we just talked about. <laughs> so then we get this great shot where we think we. So then we get this great shot where Cynthia hears somebody knocking at the window, and you 100% think it's going to be either Brad or Chris, and instead it's actually Johnny, and then his head just bursts open and slugs go everywhere. Not at Cynthia, just somewhere well, else. They're like, ew, yeah, girl, oh, ew. Yeah. <laughs> they're right, they're gay. They only go in guys' mouths. <laughs> I don't don't know what they're doing. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to bust out. There's a human girl right here. But you know what? We're going to go explore for a bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The the way they made these slugs move, by the way, was they had slot cars taped under them. um, Unless it was grass, in which case it was a string attached to them that they just pulled. Right. Makes sense. Hey, it worked. (laughs) They look good. Mm -hmm. They look okay. Yeah. They look fine. I mean, they're not fooling anyone, but I feel like that's part of the B-movie charm. Uh 100%. Yeah. Okay, so Ray arrives on the scene, and I'm just going to give a quick shout out to Vic Polizos as the coroner who is always eating in every scene. Again, this is a trope we've seen a million times, but back in 86, I don't know. Because he's fat, he's, he's, he's a bit, he's the heaviest person in the movie, so he has to eat all the time because that's funny because it's the 80s. Ugh. Yeah. Why don't I get also a it? 
I just got to point these things out when I see it. I mean, no, it's, it's the true. 80s. It's a, By all means. I mean, we, we totally – well, I guess we didn't. I mean, there's the whole casual racism with the janitor. So this, 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 this pop up oh, is gross. Yeah, that yeah. does not age well. Okay, but I, I will say, though, that when he kept laughing at that screaming like banshees, I did find that very funny. <laughs> That's because you're a horrible person. <laughs> That's fine. I accept that. <laughs> It's one of your better qualities, oddly enough. <laughs> it's a compliment. It's a backhanded compliment, but it's still a compliment. I will say, though, so we get this confrontation, though, between JC and Chris and Brad. And mm-hmm. uh, again, I think this movie is very smart. It's very witty. But one of my favorite lines of dialogue is when he's like, we told you to bring it to this fraternity, not this sorority. And he's like, well, it's all Greek to me. <laughs> <laughs> Just for that, I kick the crutch out from under you because Brad does not like smart humor. Oh, man. I mean, Brad's Brad's idea of a witty retort when he says that line, he caps it off by saying, not cool, bros. Brad doesn't have to be cool because he's Brad, okay? This it's automatic. You know? He's got just... that hair. And, that and clearly got the money. Clearly the money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Chris and JC are hauled into the police station. This is where they are ID'd by aforementioned janitor, Mr. Minor, who is played by Robert Kino. And JC gets another great line where he says, I'd personally rather have my brains invaded by creatures from outer space than pledge a fraternity. It's very on the nose. As it- and I still <laughs> laughed. So as they are being questioned in the morgue, Hollister, the grad student, not the lab technician, not the person who monitors the cryogenic stasis tube thing, just a grad student who was apparently in charge of this. He gets up and he walks out. And yes, this is when he walks right past an oblivious security officer. And then he kills the janitor, Mr. Miner. That's uh, Steve Miner, right? That's who we're referencing? Yes. 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 All right, so we're starting to see slugs appearing every time we transition to a new scene. It's like, is there grass? There's a slug. Okay. (laughs) This is when Cindy refuses Bradster's non-apology on the phone, and then Karen, the cat girl, is attacked by her zombified cat. So, Gordon... I forgot about... Wait, I'm sorry. I forgot about this cat, and it looks fucking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's something about an animatronic cat... It's so unrealistic, and yet that and is yet, 98% yeah. of the charm. Okay, but listeners, if you have not watched this movie, this is a cat that has had its face removed. It has a mm-hmm. worm sticking out of its eyeball. <laughs> yes, and it's just kind of going back and forth, left to right, going... <laughs> Picture like an animatronic from Disneyland, only with yeah. a cat missing a face. <laughs> Oh my god. See, Aww. we needed Disneyland, but like a horror land. Oh, I guess that's like Goosebumps. Anyway, never Isn't mind. Isn't that Five Nights at Freddy's? Well, no, but we need like an actual like theme park with like animatronic rides with horror stuff. Oh, so not ones that just go evil and kill people. Yeah, no, like, I-, I want it in real life. I want to go to it. Okay. okay. So would the Haunted Mansion at Horror World be like nice? Oh, <laughs> so- just filled with caspers it's, yeah. it's it's the one sanctuary like reprieve if the rest of the park is too intense ah, for you, adorable duckies ah yes <laughs> happy I endings it. no it's subversive it's fun yeah <laughs> so cindy swings by the dorm room to ask chris and jc for a walk and they you know she confesses she thinks she saw a zombie she's not really sure and chris ends up comforting her and this is when jc bails so that he can essentially give them privacy because he recognizes what's going on i gotta call gross on this first of all jc gaslights her a bit with humorously but 
that's gross. Gaslighting is gross. But what's really even more gross is using somebody's emotional distress to hit on them, mm. to like seduce them into getting close. Oh, it's okay. I'm going to put my arm around and comfort you while you're high-fiving your friend behind your back. That's gross. Thank you. <laughs> no, that is fair because Chris very much knows what he's doing. He is taking advantage of the situation. 100%. Well, and when she's about to tell him about the slug monsters, he's like – Okay, you're psychotic. Let me bring you home. Let but me I'm walk you home. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, but that's going to make it easy. We should go make out. <laughs> right. yeah. Meanwhile, JC goes to take a shit. Right. Yeah. As you do. <laughs> so this is where we get uh, a fairly extended attack sequence. It's interesting considering when you think about the history of horror movies, typically it's a female character who will get a kind of substantial attack or chase sequence. Mm. And I would argue that this is one of the longer ones in this film. So JC is, yeah, he's taking a shit. Uh, he hears somebody comes in. It's Mr. Minor, the janitor, who's now zombified. And he ends up getting attacked by slugs and like most of the attacks we don't actually see the slug go into his mouth but i will say watching that thing scurry straight at the camera yeah. where we are jc's mouth is uh it's confronting it's upsetting and unsanitary because it's on the bathroom floor it gross no yeah, yeah it's disgusting but i mean I, I yeah this is a very extended set piece i actually think this is probably the most effective at being suspenseful because this isn't a movie that's really trying to be scary or trying to be suspenseful but that mm -hmm. being said I do feel like nervous watching this scene, even though I know it's going to happen. Sure. It's like, I think, I think it's shot very effectively and you really feel for, uh, for JC because his, his terror is palpable. And to be fair, I mean, my first time through, I didn't expect it to go the way it did because JC's a major character. Yeah, we haven't had right. minor characters dying off for the most part. Yeah. Like, Ooh, we lost Karen. We haven't had a whole lot of sorority girls, you know, taking their tops off and exploding. None of that. Exactly. So. That's, and we, you know, we'll get to when we get to the po posthumous message, but like, it, this is very sad. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now to lighten the mood, do we as three gay men have any thoughts on the fact that the queer coded character is killed in a bathroom? <laughs> as he's writing uh stuff on the walls i i'm mm -hmm. half surprised he wasn't carving out a glory hole well to be fair i mean granted one goes in his mouth but one also went in his pants so i also think he got one up the butt right there is some weird queer coding here and it's i don't think that that's a reach like I don't we, know. obviously we see the worms go into a lot of people's mouths but we don't have the camera positioned as a character's mouth yeah except for here mm -hmm. well it's also something straight people straight men would fear they're always <laughs> talking they're they hate it when we're jamming stuff down their throat they yell about it all the time why are you gotta be <laughs> jumping that gay stuff down our throat why do you have to use that phrase to, to describe it all the time well now mm -hmm. it's literally being shoved down your throat but i was distracted because uh, as we're seeing the slug go at his throat there's a bit of graffiti that says go monster squad so i said yay <laughs> wait does it really yeah. Oh, that's it's, funny. It's on the wall right above the slug. I was oh, trying so really hard good. to read what, what JC was writing, but I got stuck on the um, Humpty Dumpty was pushed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True. Strike Hashtag facts. Yeah. In this scene, we do also learn that the slugs are susceptible to heat. So that will become important later on. Heat and not salt. Interesting. Well, he didn't ha He didn't happen to have a bag of pretzels with him in there. <laughs> the dump of one of the slugs. All he had was a match. What do you want? What do you want? He, lear he learned and got the information. What he, what he did. God damn you. Wait, you mean you guys don't carry packs of matches as well as bags of salt in your pockets when you go out? Um, I have a canister of Morton salt in my bag at all times for this. It was the reason. 80s. Everybody was required to have matches and cigarettes at all times. That's <laughs> true. Of course. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> 
So while we recognize that Chris is being a bit of a gaslighter and an opportunist in taking advantage of Cindy, when he walks her home, she does propose, hey, like, we should go to the formal, maybe we should kiss. And he declines because he knows that she is technically still dating Bradster. And also... A formal for a first date? That's a big invite. Tomorrow? Ooh, I have to We're get a touch get tomorrow? <laughs> that, that's like in romantic comedies when it's like, the wedding's only a week away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never thought to get a date before now, but now My that I've met a strange man. <laughs> <laughs> you have a tux on hand, right? Chris is going to be at the salon all day. <laughs> he looks exactly the same, but he spent all day getting prepped. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> So he he ends up meeting Ray outside, and they end up swapping relationship sob stories. Although I would argue that Ray's is both inappropriate and also far more sad. Okay, but like the the the, the matter of fact way with which, which he goes, your high school sweetheart went on with her life. Mine got hacked up by a nutcase with an axe. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I do love the moment where Chris, at the end of all of this, he kind of goes. Other than just confess to murder, is there a reason for this story? I love this whole scene. Mm-hmm. This scene is wonderful. The The intensity of both actors, they, like their eye contact does not break. Neither mm-hmm. one blinks the whole scene. So this is as intimate as you can get on film. And right. even the fact that there's funny lines in there, like you were saying, well, my girlfriend got hacked up with an axe. Right. They're playing it for real. And this is what I'm saying. Like all of a sudden there's real emotions happening here. Like the fact that also the fact that we – that. Chris interrupted him in the act of killing himself. Well, that's later, isn't it? No, isn't it? Isn't it now? No, no it's, I, I, it's later. I, I okay, later. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's coming. It's coming. But, that's, true. that's true. But you're right, Patrick. I mean, the, the 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 tonal balance that this film achieves is kind of remarkable because this is a very serious scene and it's still effective. JC's set piece is suspenseful and it's effective. But at the mm-hmm. same time, even when there's a joke amidst these scenes, right, they still work. And honestly, the editing does a really good job with the with the jokes as well i mean you know earlier we had um oh dead bodies don't get up and just walking across the street cut to a dead body walking dead body, across yep, the street yep. or yeah. um well oh, the, the last time he goes thrill me and then we just cut to david Pamer's exploded head <laughs> uh, okay so speaking of amusing kind of interludes this is when we see the house mother who is played by evelyn smith get killed by the zombified skeleton of ray's murder victim so he he says you know oh i tracked down the guy who killed pam and i ended up killing him covertly burying the body and it's now the place where the house mother's cottage lies so we just see this skeleton hack through the floor come out and kill the house mother that's an interesting twist too on this like kind of zombie body snatcher subgenre is that they can Mm -hmm. possess corpses because why not? Because why not? Why not? Yeah. It's just another. It's just another thing in this too. Or also, I could have watched a whole movie about the house mother. <laughs> she has no lines, but she's got a look. <laughs> she's got a look. She looks. She looks like a um, a Grimm's fairy tale evil stepmother. Well, I will say though, not the sharpest tool in the shed because she no. just stares at this thing coming out of the floor. <laughs> Maybe and she's doesn't, in shock. She doesn't try to run away at all. <laughs> it's not every day a zombified skeleton breaks through your floor, though. It's not every day a man just shows up when. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a man in this cottage. I haven't decades. had a gentleman. No, a gentleman caller. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Let me put on my pricey house coat. <laughs> I've only got the slutty one. Oh my god, my moo moo. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
So Ray ends up getting called to this crime scene. Uh, we should note that earlier on, he he was keenly aware that the injury on Johnny's face when it exploded and all the slugs came out, it looked like it could have been made with an axe. So oh. Ray is clearly suffering from a little bit of guilt with what he did. So when he arrives at this crime scene, he's like, oh, shit. Okay. Um, <laughs> So he and several officers, including Officer Craven, played by J. Arlen Jones, as well as Officer Bava, who is played by Elizabeth Alda, end up tracking this corpse to an alley and they blow it away. And then, yes, we explode the head and all of these slugs come out. Okay, but my favorite effect in this entire movie is when the corpse and uh, and Tom Atkins make eye contact mm -hmm. and it smiles at him. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, we, we don't get a lot, because the lore of this movie, we're led to believe, you know, okay, these people are no longer themselves anymore once they get possessed, except sure. for JC, who is able to leave a recorded message, and I guess this corpse, <laughs> mm -hmm. which recognizes Tom Atkins' character. I don't care how dead I am, if I turn around and saw that mustache right there, I'd be like, oh yeah, come on, baby, let's go. I recognize that thing. Oh, baby, oh, I feel alive again. <laughs> <laughs> but Trace, I don't entirely agree, because brad knows enough to go back to the the kappa house oh and so does johnny because that, that's where pam's sorority house was too yeah mm -hmm. okay i guess that makes sense yeah i i think part of it is also like how dead you are to like like for some reason like did it kill you when it went or did it not like, mm. i don't like i don't like i think like you said with um jc not quite as dead his brain is still functioning a bit it's going right but I don't think we're meant to overthink. No, 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 no. It's very clearly meant to be like, yeah, these things will sort of go where they used to go. And also, please just go along with the ride. We can never know because they're from space. Exactly. You're right. We're not meant to question it, but we're doing a two hour podcast episode about it. So <laughs> this is our job. Sure. It's a job to nitpick. We have a responsibility. We're talking about to movies. ruin shit. Yes. <laughs> the people have a right to know. The people want to know. <laughs> So speaking of things that people want, we want a montage of tits out and hair getting did. This is fun. I love, I don't even care that it's gratuitous nudity because it's also part, it, this is the homage, right? Like that's what these movies did. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. As my listeners know, there are three things that make me happy in a tits. movie that are always a win. One is a getting ready montage. Two yes. is a fully choreographed musical number for no reason. Oh, and yeah. three Ooh. is a microfiche research scene, which this movie should have had. They, they should have been oh. researching what happened in 1957, but they didn't. Ooh, yes. Yeah, that would have fit point. right in, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But Now it, I'm just disappointed. Well, if they were bitching about an extra 30-second ending, um, they probably didn't want to add in a <laughs> microfiche sequence. <laughs> Look, we have a whole science lab we want a library to. Ooh. Can you imagine? <laughs> On a Becker? college university campus are you crazy this school does not have a library this school is <laughs> school nobody question. goes to class why do they need a library <laughs> we pay to go to school places without libraries right we, we talked about it. it's experimental Carry that on. is wild <laughs> exactly this is a school that literally has one major it is uh you have to major in cryogenic stasis in Miller Light, <laughs> Miller Light. Lab. Miller Light on draft and <laughs> Cindy is a psych major because Brad gets mad at her for that that's Ooh. right 
one of the things that I love too about this uh, the uh, in this montage scene, it's it's that again that male gaze sorority. I really cued into it watching the initiation of Sarah, the made for TV seventies movie, mm. and all the sorority scenes. You'd have like thirty girls packed in a room doing stuff, all doing the girliest stuff possible. We're all putting on makeup, we're all drying our hair, we're playing backgammon in our underwear for some reason. That sort of thing makes me happy. I'm like, look at all this. Nobody has their own room. Do you all have to be in the same room? Yes, every single one of them, right? Uh-huh. And we're all really happy about everything that we're doing. Because it's a getting ready montage. How can you not be happy? You're going to get a ready montage. You can't. Nobody's fighting over the one mirror as everyone would in real life. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this kind of like fun, exciting moment. Everybody's getting ready for the formal. So good. And then we cut to Chris in his room realizing i mean there was a scene earlier where he was picking up his tux and somebody was like hey you excited and he was like hey have you seen jc but this is the moment where he finds a tape and he plays the tape and we get this absolutely devastating suicide confession from jc now my only question before we actually talk about how good this is he says in the the message that he walked down to the furnace yeah because to him, using his crutches is walk. Yeah. No. But I thought that. Oh, I no, thought that's right. The slugs, the slugs gave healed him. The, him. the to slugs walk. healed him. Yeah. But, yes. but but I'm saying. Uh, that, uh, sorry. <laughs> that wasn't even what I, my, my question. Um, how did the tape recorder get back into the dorm room if he <laughs> already walked to the furnace and killed himself? <laughs> <laughs> y- y'all think I'm going against disabled people so much in this movie? <laughs> Shush, 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 shush. It just let it wash over you. Just the let slu- it happen. The slugs brought it back. I was going to say one Thank of you. the slugs brought it back up. <laughs> they were like, we want him to know so that he can try to fight us, but he won't succeed. But um, but that that's a good. A good I, the, the fact that he we hear over the, the recording, yeah, he was able to walk and he's like, oh, my God, I'm walking. But I also have no pulse. But it's mm. that line. He says, I walked, Chris, all by myself. I walked. I love you. Good luck with Cynthia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like an addendum at the end. Uh, good, good luck with, with Cynthia. Don't overthink the fact that I just said I love you. Bye. And it's also I also think it's some last minute shade. It's last minute. Uh, good luck with Cynthia because I think damn well he knows this isn't going to work out. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't. No, you haven't talked to her. You literally have nothing in common. You're a freshman. She's a senior. She's graduating. You're going to fuck it up because you always fuck things up. And what are you going to have in common after this trauma? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, good that luck. You could have had me. And by the way, this this thing with Cynthia started this whole thing. This is why I'm dead. This thing with Cynthia. It's her How fault. How dare you, Patrick? They're going to go on an all-expenses-paid vacation to Brasilia. <laughs> and, you know, they're going to work through their trauma. And they're going to realize that Ben's son – oh, I'm talking about a different movie. Never mind. I really like Cynthia a lot. I mean, no, look, I, I, I'm not saying – I'm not – I have nothing – I like Cynthia a lot too. I have nothing – but I'm just saying it's this isn't going to happen. No, these two are brought together by pheromones and then, yeah, trauma, trauma. and, you know, maybe a flamethrower. Okay, but you can honest. say that about, like, every single... Oh, my God, the 90s slug movie. It's The Faculty. Oh, there we go. Because okay. I was like, oh, you can say that about The Faculty, too, because I only get their happy ending in that movie, but... <laughs> Which, P.S., does the famous horror movie director last name thing. Sure does. It does. Oh, my God. How did it take us this long to remember that? Robert Rodriguez had seen Night of the Creeps. <laughs> yeah, and he admitted it, James Gunn. <laughs> But I think the thing that we're really missing in the scene is the first – I mean, granted, this whole thing on the tape is heartbreaking, and I think it's mm-hmm. worse that we don't see it. 
Oh, oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. That he doesn't. There's a line way early on in their first scene together. Where he said something about, "Oh well, I guess you have to kill me later." Mm. And I'm like, "Oh, that's gonna happen. He's gonna have to kill his best friend." But that doesn't happen. Right. But the first line of the tape is, "There's one inside me. There's one inside me. I got one in my mouth." And I'm like, "You go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you." <laughs> He got fucked before he died. I don't need you anymore. I got the real thing by Chris. I'm going to go blow myself up in a furnace now. Well, I do think it's interesting. I mean, there's there's something very 80s about the fact that we have a self-sacrificing gay sidekick in this movie. And I don't mean to sound like I'm coming down on the film because, mm-hmm. again, that's kind of just where we were at with queer representation. Yeah. But as much as I don't like what ends up happening with JC, I do think that giving him a kind of solemn goodbye and making him the only character who really has agency over their own death in this movie. Like yeah. everybody else who gets turned is a fucking idiot. And JC is like, I'm going out on my own terms. And also I'm giving you a hint on how to win. And we don't see it. His death isn't exploited. So he goes out exactly. with dignity. Well, yeah. see, if the last we had, I, I am right. The last we see of him is in the bathroom. But like, if that was the last like we had from him in this movie, I would feel like this was a more egregious, like barrier gaze trope. But yeah, because we get this, this posthumous message, um, along mm-hmm. with a, chris finding his body i don't know it's yeah. it just it has so much more weight to it than it would if, if it had just ended with the bathroom and also the sacrificing gay has the answer on how to beat these things yep yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i like that we don't have to see his face when chris goes down to find him there's something quiet and dignified about this where if you have to kill this character it's almost a polite way to do it it makes it hurt more one hundred percent. We don't get the closure that you would normally get in a horror movie. That we get to see him gunned down, put down, mm-hmm, gory right. death. Yeah, we don't exactly. get that. This is something else that makes me feel something that I don't normally feel in a trashy eighties horror movie. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think that's a plus. Some people don't like that sort of thing. Oh no, I mean, I, I think it's great. And also, Chris's reaction to seeing his body is just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we actually get to sit with it for a moment. Not too, too long, because we really are moving into the climax after this. But I appreciate that he's not just like, oh, no, JC. Okay, bye. I gotta go. I gotta get to you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we switch and we get to see all of the frat boys jump on the party bus, but not Brad, because he is angry and he is drunk about getting kicked to the curb by Cynthia. And then this is when he gets infected by the dog of the house mother. I think this is why the theatrical ending doesn't work for me, because we already have a dog gag in this movie. Well, and this dog gets so much fucking play from the scene on. Yeah. <laughs> he causes an entire bus crash. <laughs> well, the, the cat didn't have any eyes, so it would have been difficult for it to cause a bus crash and do as much damage as the cat. I get that. That's this true. <laughs> I'm being able now. I'm being cat ableist. God damn it! I think Boom. the worm was its eye. I think the worm it's, it's like a it's like a parasite situation. Oh, so this is where Chris comes upon Ray, and I guess it's because Ray feels like he has finally finished his mission to put mm. Pam's killer into the ground once and for all. Uh, Ray is about to die by suicide when Chris comes in and basically says. Hey, buddy, my other buddy is dead, and I need somebody to help me fight this fight. Why do we think he's trying to kill himself? I mean, I just speculated. I I, I know, but I mean, like, just, I say, he's just, like, in shock over seeing this corpse again and having to re-kill it. I don't think he's been the same since 1957. He's never gotten over that. That's true. Of, That's true. And now it's back in his face. And if this gets dis- discovered, 
if there's any investigation uh, about why this corpse on the line yeah i think i like that better than my idea yeah but it's still very sad um it's also like it doesn't linger you know that's what he's doing but the film doesn't make a point to really talk about it yeah which is interesting what the film is willing to spend time on and what we kind of raise and then move past yeah yeah i mean but the thing is with him as well with this character there's a weight to him from the very first time you see him he just seems right. discontent with life in general the whole thrill me thing nothing thrills him he's got there's mm-hmm. an emptiness inside of him and i just think it's it this is an opportunity for him to check out yeah which is so funny, right? Because when people talk about this movie and Atkins's performance, they always reference this like it's a, I don't know, like an action movie tagline, right? Like, oh, yeah, thrill me. And you're like, that is the line of a man who is actually trying to find something to live for. Like, mm-hmm. that's what that line is. It's yeah, not boisterous and fun. No. <laughs> it's like, what kind of asshole opens a podcast by using that and then just like glibly talks about it, right? <laughs> probably canadian they're awful right. people like <laughs> fucking canucks my god their snowshoe feet it's fucked up yeah. pardon you <laughs> <laughs> okay so speaking of this fucking dog uh yes it does crash the party bus and then infects all of the frat bus see that's i because like we don't we call this night of the creeps because we're calling these slugs creep but no one says that in the movie but i no. love that the bulk of the creeps in this movie are frat mm-hmm. boys yeah. Our, our actual creeps, yeah. Yeah, they're it's actual creeps. It's a double creeps. entendre. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a double meaning. There we go. Okay. So this is when Ray decides we need to suit up. We need armor. We need battle gear. So he goes to the evidence locker and shoves a gun in Walter's face. Walter is, of course, played by Dick Miller. And Yay. this is how we get our flamethrower. There's a character actor for you. There we go. 100%. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a bit disappointing that this is just the scene, right? We never see him again. Do you know how expensive he probably is at this point? This is post-Gremlins. Yeah, that's oh, true. That is a good point. Yeah. yeah. This was probably a favor, right? Exactly. I mean, he probably... Yeah, exactly. So then we've got Zombie Bradster, because, of course, he is fully zombified now. And he shows up to collect Cindy as we see the other frat bros crawling out of this bus. Okay, but... Cindy Brad's here. <laughs> yeah, and that's what's her name. That's what's her name. The blonde who opens the door. She's from yes. um, Weird Science and uh, Killer Clowns. Yeah, her name is Lisa, played by Suzanne Snyder. That's her. That's it. Yeah, not enough of her in this movie. There's another scene with her just like hanging out on the couch with one of the other sorority girls. And you're just like, what's her story? What movie is she in right now? She is in the I Hate Brad Club, which we like, which means we like her. (laughs) (laughs) So she doesn't even notice that he's tingy green around the edge. Love it, but neither does Cindy when Cindy comes down. Oh, you know, know, Brad had hygiene problems. You know, some. (laughs) She's looking very Ali Sheedy. She does not recognize that Brad uh, basically has a whole new face going on, and they just sit on the porch, and she breaks up with him. And then when she looks over, his face is splitting open before it gets shot, and then he gets melted up real good by the flamethrower mm-hmm. it's good stuff oh yeah this is all I, 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 the, the whole final act of this movie i think is such a fucking blast what i like too about this final scenes where with the with the this takeover even though uh chris has switched over to hero mode there's still a sadness behind it there's just an over this to it right. just when he's walking through going giving everybody get out everybody yeah. get out. he's not yelling it like a hero he's just yelling it like somebody who's lost their best friend and just hanging on yeah by thread Except for the moments where he's 
actually working collaboratively with Cindy, where, mm. you know, you can see that he still wants to be a little bit of the hero, but he's not overplaying it. You know, he he wants to make sure that she doesn't freeze when the moment comes. So that's why he's like, okay, are you ready? Here we go. When I shoot, you shoot the flamethrower. I do love that he gives her the better weapon. You'll but, feel better um, if you hold this. If I had a nickel every time somebody said, you'll feel better if you hold this. I mean... <laughs> But yeah, all this to say, uh, this is an amusing way to have a first date with somebody. But yeah, when he's not, you know, playing hero with Cindy, there's definitely a pathos to the way that he's acting. Yeah. And the fact that they have to do it together. It's a it's right. a one-two punch to take these things down. You can't mm -hmm. do it alone. So we've got this battle with Chris and Cynthia outside as they are tackling the frat boys. But inside, uh, unfortunately, our cat girl, Karen, has been infected. She attacks Ray and he has to blow her head off. Uh, and we get this awesome... Like, like it's like Tom. It's like uh, Tom Atkins is on a like a spin, like a merry-go-round, and we're just mm -hmm. spinning around with him as he is just firing off in all all locations. Yeah. The idea of Tom Atkins on a lazy Susan just gets me all weak in the knees. <laughs> <laughs> uh, waiter, I would like one Tom Atkins for my lazy Susan dim sum, please. Thank you. Spin that wheel. Mm hmm. Eventually, Cynthia and Chris end up in this shed, which Tracy mentioned off the top was what Decker used his extra money for. And this is a great scene, right? You've got zombies attacking them from the front and the back. And then we end it with a fucking dead alive style lawnmower that dispatches Unibrow Steve. Well, you know that Peter Jackson has seen Night of the Creeps. He probably admitted that, too. Oh, I don't know. What does James Gunn say? I think we need to touch base with him. And let's face it, you were going to need a power mower to get through that unibrow. Oh my you were God. never going to get to the brain otherwise. So one error that I did note, I'm not sure if maybe it was just on my Blu-ray, so I'm curious to hear if either one of you caught this on your Amazon version, but um, throughout this entire sequence, Cindy is calling for Brad to rescue her. Oh, I didn't notice that, mm -hmm. but it's entirely possible. I was just like, oh, do we change character names or was the actress just inadvertently saying the wrong character? Is this during the shed scene? Yeah, it's when she gets pulled out by Steve. Oh, I was well, like, Brad, Brad, Brad. Ma maybe it's because it was the reshoots that she forgot. <laughs> it's quite possible. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny thing. <laughs> so this is where all, Chris all frat boys are Brad, to be perfectly honest. Right. Yeah. He pulled out by another frat boy named Brad. Uh, actually, that was a good joke from earlier, too, where he's like, oh, I'm sorry. What's your name? Chad, Biff, <laughs> Riff. <laughs> All 50s frat names, right? Mm-hmm. So this is where Chris goes into the sorority house. He orders all of the girls out. And then we remember, oh, there's brains in the basement. So we go down there. And this is where we discover that Ray is, in fact, following through on his suicidal ideations. Because he has started a countdown, he's laying down some gasoline, and he's going to blow himself and all of these slugs up. I love that he had duct tape over his mouth. Oh yeah, he's smart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die, but not that way. No way. <laughs> wow. Which is why the extended director's cut doesn't work for me. Like, I don't Protect love the, the theatrical cut because of what it does to Cynthia. Mm. But then I don't love the, the director's cut because it suggests that he somehow did end up getting infected after all of this. Well, that's mm. how, like... It if if you want to so if the ending was too long cut mm -hmm. out the part where you see his body walking out and just have a slug make its way to the cemetery 
exactly yeah but this pile of slugs in this basement it, is it stop motion like it looks great i don't know yeah. what it is but it is freaky initially when i first saw it i thought it was cheap looking because they all move in unison it's true uh-huh. but now that i'm going ew if they all are sharing a brain that's yeah. awful too that's horrible <laughs> yeah yeah it's acting almost like a hive mind and we do see them launch themselves at Ray just before he explodes so the fact that he would have been infected is very plausible i just didn't like that he was smart enough to cover his mouth with tape and then he takes it off and then doesn't put it back on anyway it's fine uh (laughs) this is all great sorority house go boom everybody's standing outside as all of the sirens the ambulances the fire trucks pull up and we get this this little comment that um cindy thinks that chris looks good in a tux womp womp So as we alluded to, there are two different endings. So in the theatrical cut, it's basically this sequence. We see the dog run up to Cindy. She reaches down to grab it and it spits a slug in her face and we just smash cut to black. And then in the director's cut, we see Ray's smoking corpse make its way to the cemetery where it collapses and they all spread out. And we do see the alien spaceship shining a light on various graves before flying away. And neither of those two scenes is great, if we're being honest. Mm, I do hate the one where Cindy dies. That I don't like. Mm-hmm. She didn't earn that. I prefer the director's cut ending. But honestly, the, the director's cut ending feels more like a sequel tease than anything else. It does. It's very much, hey, those aliens, remember, they're still kicking around. We'll explore it more next movie. Mm-hmm. I like that these aliens were able to travel all the way across the darkness of space and then have to search a graveyard with a flashlight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's really cool. Because they, they shine on one of the graves and, and just nobody sees around. this giant thing in the sky. No, nobody sees it. No. For, for a little slug, too. They're looking for a slug. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we saw how big it was when Johnny found it in the woods back in the 50s. Oh my like, god, oh my god. Uh, yeah. Maybe you need a homing beacon? I would like to know how it took, oh, I'm sorry, why it took them so long to get here. Okay, right. I think that you're this is really judgy. They're, like, they're very far away, okay? Clearly, that first ship was just left in embarrassment. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so we have to assume that they didn't realize that the slugs got out. So they've been traveling for 30 years, right? Because they lost the canister in the late fifties and now it's the late eighties. So yeah, they, they could have been on the other side of the galaxy. Yeah. Or they all got captured at, at area 57. <laughs> they've been stuck 51? there for 27 years. No, I think, I think area 57 is like the aliens area 51 for oh, humans. Right. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. It's where they lock up the big you know ass aliens. Yeah. Yes, that's- exactly. <laughs> so, one of the things that was neat when I got to see this at uh, Horror Hat Weekend was that Tom Atkins was there. Okay. And he was sitting across the aisle from me, and he giggled like a schoolboy <gasps> the whole movie. He was having so much fun. Oh, well, he so loves this great. movie. Like, th- he he's on record saying this is out of all the movies he's done, this one is his favorite. And this was the first time really? he got to see the director's cut ending, too. So, the, so he was just laughing and laughing. And he was, it was fun to watch. And here's the thing. Tom Atkins... The actor is not gay. His mustache 100% is. Oh, it's serving Tom of Finland. It's got its own area code. You don't understand. At this particular Harhound weekend, this is a fact. People write in that were there back me up. Tom, uh, Tom Atkins' mustache, somebody opened a Twitter account for it, and it was reporting <laughs> how it was sneaking off his face and giving people long, sweet, slow blowjobs at oh Harhound weekend. <laughs> oh, my God. 
<laughs> Can you imagine just having an iconic mustache that people are like, yeah, I've basically written slash fiction for? Or maybe having that mustache is going off and giving people blowjobs and you come back and like, why is there cum on my face again, mustache? <laughs> mustache, come on. I also like that in this movie that the flamethrower is a representation of gayness because like, gayness kills him because uh, we needed the gay to find out that he killed them. <laughs> the power of the gay that gets passed on, that knowledge, and then he has... Chris has the flamethrower at first, and then he realizes, you know what? This is it for me. Why don't you take the gay Cynthia? And she's like, yes, I've got this. Yes, because she can handle it. It's the phallic imagery, yeah. The phallic and the flame and the flamery. It's true. This movie really is flaming. That's what you call a reach. <laughs> well, what a way to end it. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Fun little movie. I say that is Night of the Creeps, y'all. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Fun little movie. That, that, that is exactly what I... Because I saw this... I mean, the first time I saw it was back when we did that article, Joe. So this is a relatively oh, wow. new discovery for me. I did not grow up with this film. But, okay. um, hmm. but Patrick, as the guest of honor, final thoughts on this film? Final thoughts on this film. I think that since it's a mishmash of a film and that it's a cult film, I think it's best to see it with people. It's not yeah. as much fun by yourself. Like I said, I didn't fall in love with it until I saw that screening at Hard Hat Weekend and there with that crowd and watching how much Tom Atkins was having fun watching it. And then I was, was able to say, oh, okay, these things that I thought were flaws are actually pros. It doesn't have a lot to say, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a wonderful little message, but it has these moments of realness too that make it unusual and unique. There's not – There's. I mean I was going to say there's no movie out there like it, but <laughs> – There's so many that – it has sampled from. <laughs> yes. However, none of them have this heart. Yeah. Slither was great, but it doesn't have this heart underneath it. It doesn't have moments of actual pathos. Yeah, I think I, mean, I think they're both trying to do it. I mean, they're, they're both, you know, horror comedies involving slugs. I do think that Slither has a bit more of a mean-spiritedness to it. Although you do still have that love story between Elizabeth Banks and um, Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I'm inclined to agree. This is what – I would show this to a non-horror fan. I would not right. show Slither to a non-horror fan. <laughs> no, no. And when you call this a comedy, like this is this is more of a humorous film. It's not. Yeah. But I'm jink jokes. Slither is jokes. Yeah, that is. This true. is humor, and it's a different vibe. And I like that too. That's one of my more favorite things. Is usually when things get too jokey, I check out. But this is the tone. Even though it's uneven, it, it's right because it's like life. It's messy, and you don't know what's coming next. And all of a sudden, you're in. I thought I was in a love story, but no, I'm not. I'm in a slug movie, and nobody's feeling my breasts. <laughs> fondling my breasts <laughs> oh my God. everyone deserves a good breast fondle. Uh, yeah but no i i think this is a really fun movie it's very solid um it's just a good time and it doesn't have to be anything more than that 100 percent. yeah agreed but um okay well before we announce that we're covering next week uh patrick first of all thank you for coming to talk about this movie with us but let everyone know where can they find you on social media yeah patrick tell us about your your brand new queer horror podcast that's brand new <laughs> well it's the brand new horror podcast that i've been doing for 13 years since 2010 <laughs> i've been your guide to the weird wonderful uh, world uh, of horror uh, movies but you gotta have to see them through my very very gay little eyes kind of like here but older <laughs> 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 um, but no, you can find me at www.takeTwo, screamqueens.com, and that's Queens with a Z. 
see, like Liza Minnelli, because I'm gay. Of course. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers. Shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Go to our YouTube channel to watch our interviews with horror filmmakers and hear our thoughts on upcoming horror releases. And if you want to chat with other listeners, join our Facebook Horror Queers group. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. We are now in May, so if you sign up now, you will get up, uh, up to... 238 hours of extra content oh boy mm-hmm. this month we're going all in on evil dead with an episode on evil dead rise as well as our thoughts on the whole evil dead franchise and an audio commentary on the original 1981 film plus we'll have episodes on amazon prime's queer as fuck dead ringer series and the lulu wilson starring wrath of becky oh boy i know i gotta watch becky now so woohoo this is true <laughs> yeah uh joe Mm-hmm. What are we talking about next week? All right. Well, we are jumping even further back into the past, Trace. This is a first-time watch for me, and I am slightly trepidatious to dip a toe into exploitation. We are talking about whatever happened to Baby Jane. Don't do that with your voice ever again. Girl. Whatever happened Girl. to Baby Jane. <laughs> you know what? You started this because of the fucking baby shit. <laughs> oh! <laughs> He's gonna be really mad that there's no actual babies in it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Why am I babies? Oh, it's Ben Davis. Next week we have Baby Jane, so um, oh. we're continuing this through line. Uh, yeah, this movie Gross. is fucking fantastic. Uh, I love Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. If you have not seen the Ryan Murphy series Feud, Betty and Joan, I would also recommend checking that out. Not for the episode, just because it's awesome. Sure. But uh, yeah, next week, come in next week to watch us talk about Joan Crawford and Betty Davis at each other's yeah. throats. But until then... We can cross out Night of the Creeps. Indeed. And cross out Horror Queers. Horror Queers.